0: Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, today we're going to be in the book of Ezekiel 22. We're going to be looking at actually verse 30, but I like to read the context of the passage that we're in. So we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 31. The title of the message is God Looks for Someone. And the word of the Lord came to me, this is Ezekiel talking, saying, Son of man, say to her, and he's talking about uh, Jerusalem, You are a land that is not cleansed or reigned on in the day of indignation, the land of Israel. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. They have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths. So that I profane among I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. Her prophets plaster them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, mistreated the poor, needy, and they wrongfully oppress the stranger. So I'm hoping you're getting the picture here. We'll just pause for a moment that things in the eyes of God were pretty bad in the land of Israel. Um, They were prophesying lies. uh, They were practicing unrighteousness, uh, bowing down to idols, everything but serve God. Yet in the middle of that, we get to verse 30, and here's what God says. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore, I've poured out my indignation on them, I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I've recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. Now we're going to get into this in a minute, but I hope that you see, even from the reading of the text, that the last thing God wanted to do was to pour out judgment. If he could have found one person to stand in the gap, he would not have done that. But unfortunately, things were so bad, he couldn't find even one. So his last recourse... How many of y'all are parents, right? A couple of us are parents. I got my hand raised up. I'm a parent. The last thing I ever wanted to do was to spank my kids. Believe it or not, I really meant it when I said, this hurts me more than it hurts you, because I don't like to do that. It hurts me. It's the last recourse, but if I'm going to be a good parent, sometimes I have to do that and it's the same thing that's happening here when people won't listen they won't heed they won't do what he says it's the last thing he wants to do but even in that his hope is that they'll turn towards him well anyway let's move on the background here is ezekiel's a prophet of the lord who was called by god to bring the word of the lord to the people of israel and what's interesting is that he was doing so in the land of babylon where some of god's people including himself had already been taken as captives into that land. So Babylon had come. They had uh, made Is- the territory of Israel a vassal of their nation. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, but they gave them some kind of sovereignty. They didn't take them all away. They didn't send them all captive. They continued to leave the government uh, in place there. They only took some, a few of the people back towards Babylon just to show that they were in charge. Um, but in the meantime, nothing changed in Israel. Ezekiel 2 3-5, through five, uh, Ezekiel said uh, when the, uh, how he got his call, he said to me, son of man, God speaking to Ezekiel, I'm sending you to the children of Israel to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day for their impudent and stubborn children. I'm sending you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, as for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. Now, Ezekiel is being called to be a prophet while he's in the land of Babylon but again things are still going like they were before in the land of Israel but God is calling Ezekiel to be a prophet to the captives there are in Babylon but also to the people that are in Israel so they can hear the word of the Lord the reason they've been taken captive by the nation of Babylon is because of centuries not a day not two not three but a continual practice. Can we say, if we were going to make it personal, we would say, hey, it's not because you messed up once. It's not because you messed up a couple of times. It's not that. It's a continual, lifelong practice of hardening your heart and rebelling against God. And when you don't do what God says, when you refuse to follow God's word, what you're really doing is you're rebelling against God. Right? And so how did they rebel against God? They worshiped the idols of the lands around them. Instead of serving God, they began to serve the idols. And you might say to them, Whoa, I'm not in that category. I'm good. No, the number one idol that we worship today is ourself. We serve the creature over the... Creator, and, and when we look to the throne, he said, Well, I don't, there's no cow in the throne, there's no bull on the throne, there's no uh, goat on the throne. There's, well, but if you look at, at the throne of your life, what you will find is you will find you. And when you're sitting on the throne of your life, you are worshiping an idol. Because the Creator is the only one that deserves to be on the throne. And when we refuse to let God sit on the throne, we are sitting on the throne because we have free will. And when we're sitting on the throne, we are in the same way practicing idolatry. So as a result, they violated the covenant they'd made with the Lord. And since they chose not to come under the yoke of God, and that's not a bad thing. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right, Since they refused to come under the yoke of God, they were abandoned to the yoke of Babylon. And he basically said, well, if you don't want to serve me, then I'll let you serve the nations of this world. And when they did that, they found themselves, many of them, going into captivity. So in Jeremiah chapter 1, who was another prophet, but Jeremiah was a prophet to the land of Israel. Uh, he was in the land of Israel like Ezekiel was in the land of babylon and jeremiah was also giving the word of the lord but jeremiah since he was in the land that was practicing rebellion man he was experiencing incredible amounts of problems uh uh, persecution captivity they didn't want to hear what he had to say but in the in the book of jeremiah uh he says uh for behold uh chapter 1 verse 15 through 16 I am calling all the families of the kingdom of the Lord, says the Lord. They shall come and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around, against all the cities of Judah. I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness because they have forsaken me, burn incense to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. So Jeremiah, like Ezekiel, is saying, uh, I'm going to let the nation of Babylon come and take you captive. And if you're in the land of Israel and you think you're a chosen one of God and you think you're special, only because you're an Israelite, then you're going to be uh, uh, profoundly uh, moved by Jeremiah's message, but not necessarily moved to, to, uh, to, to change, to repentance. You're going to be moved to do something to silence that prophet. How dare he speak against God's people? How dare, if we're going to put in today's church, how dare anyone say that God uh, does anything more than love and blesses people? He does love and blesses people, He does that. The problem is, we don't always reciprocate by serving Him out of love. And when we don't reciprocate by serving Him out of love, uh, you know, and we, may, we can lie to ourselves, we can say all kinds of things, but the bottom line is when we don't do that, God sometimes lifts His hands so we experience the consequences of our behavior. And the purpose of that is that we would realize, hey man, it was a lot better serving God than it is what I'm going through right now. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So anyway, that brings us back to Ezekiel and the text that we're looking today at today. It was 22 and 30. So I look for a man to stand in the gap that I may not basically bring my judgment upon Israel. Unfortunately, the Bible says he found no one. Ezekiel 22 and 30. So the first point we're going to look at here today is God searches and looks for a man. Now that may seem a little bit interesting to you. Why is God searching for someone? Why does the scripture seem to suggest that for God's will to be done, there must be a person, a man or woman, that responds to his call? Well, it all has to do with how God designed the human race and what God designed for us to be. In Genesis 1 and 26, God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And it doesn't say, and let us have dominion. It says, let them have dominion let them have dominion over what? Basically over the earth, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Well, wait a minute. Uh, God, God is not in charge of the earth? Well, God is the creator of all, but God in His sovereignty chose to put humanity as the ruler and the one that exercises dominion in the natural realm in the earth. The Bible says in Psalms 115 and 16, the heaven, even the high Heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth He has given as steward. I'm giving you the context to be stewards. Uh, he has given the earth over to the children of men to be stewards of the earth. Exodus three nine through twelve. Now therefore, behold, the, behold the cry of the children of Israel have come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I should have given you the context of that before I read it. But the bottom line is when God wanted to deliver Israel from Egypt, you'd have thought God could have done it without somebody. But the reason that he went and found somebody is because God always works through people because he designed people to be the the vessel through which he chooses to do his work. And so when he wanted to deliver the Israelites, the people of God were praying to God. So God said, I'm going to respond. So in order for God to respond, he went and found a person. We know that guy by the name of Charlton Heston. No, I mean Moses. We know that guy by the name of Moses. And Moses didn't want to do it. And God said, I'm sending you. And he said, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. And God said, I'm sending you. I'm going to be with you. And Moses finally relented. Moses said, okay. And when he went, God used Moses to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. It was all God, but God wasn't going to do it without Moses. And Moses surely was... He tried to do it without God. That didn't work out very, very good either. What God is looking for is He's looking for a people that will partner Him so that His purposes in the earth can be accomplished and His purposes, like we saw in communion is to forgive all our iniquities to heal all our diseases to deliver his people to save them that word save doesn't just mean get you to heaven it means that you experience a life and life more abundantly you experience wholeness in every dimension of your life so that you can become the vessel that he wants you to become to bring his will to pass in this planet Amen. isaiah 6 and 8 god is speaking to another man by the name of Isaiah, who was already prophesying. And the, uh, there was a king by the name of Uzzah, who was a righteous king, but he died. And I'm sure Isaiah is thinking to himself, oh man, we've had some bad kings. Uzziah, he made some mistakes, but he was a pretty good king. Who's coming now? Oh no, woe is me. Who's going to be the next president? Who's going to be in, elected into Congress? Who's going to be in senator? We're hoping for this, or we're hoping for that. Oh, but it could be bad. Depending on what side you're on, it could be really bad. you know. And then all of a sudden he has a vision of the Lord seated high, uh, you know, and, and heaven seated on his throne, he begins to realize God's in charge. And at the very end, after his cleansing of his lips and after bringing him in a position where he could stand and hear the voice of the Lord, he hears the voice of God, Isaiah 6 and 8, and he heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord, and he said, here am I. Send me. You say, why is that significant? Because God always works through people. It is, it's not that he can't do something else. He has angels. He has the heavenly host. He has other things that he can do. He's sovereign. He can just do it what he wants, however he wants to do it. But he has chosen to work through people. And so it behooves us to be in a place where we can hear the voice of God, and when we hear the voice of God, we can cooperate with God to bring His will in the ear. That's why God was searching for someone. 1 Corinthians 3 and 9 says, we are God's fellow workers. Another translation says, we are co-laborers with God. Right? Moses, go lift up your staff, I'll part the sea. You don't lift up your staff, I'm not parting the sea. But if you'll lift up the staff, watch what I do. So, God's searching for someone. Number two, God's heart for man. Because in this verse, we not only see that God's looking for someone, we also see what God's heart is like. I sought for a man among them who would make a wall, stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, because I don't want to destroy it. I know that's not what it says. It says that I should not destroy it, but the context is I don't want to do that. Unfortunately, I didn't find anyone. One of the first songs I learned when I went to Bible school was from the book of Micah. And I have shown thee, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of thee but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. That's actually out of Micah chapter 6, verse 8. What that verse reveals is that God's heart is for justice, like Marty was saying before, but God's heart is equally for mercy as he seeks relationship with his creation. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord. This is Moses. He's crying out before the Lord. He said, if I have found favor in your sight, show me now your ways that I may know you so that I might find favor in your sight. And God hit him in a rock and God passed before him. And this is what the Lord said, what Moses heard about the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, uh, God merciful and gracious. Now this is, this is the same Moses whom God gave the law to. But he said, I want to know you better. I'm going to show you who I am. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. And I want you to know, the more that I know him, the more I realize how merciful and how gracious and long, how, how long-suffering he was with me and continues to be with me. I hope you find in your life too, you know, sometimes we just move along and we do the things that we do and and we just habitual and ritual about doing. Uh, We go to church, we pay our tithes, maybe, you know, uh, we read our Bible, hopefully, or we watch somebody read their Bible, feel better about it, you know, uh, or we have an app that'll read it to us. We do all these kind of things, but sometimes we kind of forget just how good God was and just how good God is to do what He did for us. He's merciful, graceful, long-suffering, abounding in good. It doesn't say He was. He's passing before Moses. And well, you say that's in the past, but he's, the Bible says He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when God speaks, it's throughout all eternity because the, His voice covers time from beginning to the end. So He is. The Lord is merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. But in the middle of that, remember this is law, even the law, you find the character of God. He's merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth. Ezekiel 18, back, in our, uh, back to the prophet Ezekiel 27-32. through 32. Again, God says, When a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are not fair? How can we be saying to God, your ways aren't fair? And God says, it's not my ways that aren't fair. My ways are fair. It's your ways that aren't fair. Therefore, God says, I will judge you, O house of Israel. everyone, according to his ways, says the Lord God. And here's what God wants. Repent. And turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin God is saying don't continue to live and say hey we're children of God we're children of God yet I live in sin day in and day out I'm not talking about making a mistake I practice sin I continually uh, find myself caught up and doing the same old thing over and over again I find myself eating like it says the dog returns to its vomit I find myself going back to the same pornographic sin I find myself going back to the same drugs I find myself going Back to the same lifestyle I come to church I do okay I feel the presence of God but then I go back again and God says no no you got to repent that's wrong turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin see a lot of people think today it says I can I can have a relationship with God and do these things if you have a relationship with God you don't want to do these things Grace is not permission to do sin. Grace is the empowerment to not sin. I don't want to. I find sometimes that I do. Have an angry word to somebody or I don't care whether you're mad at me or not. <laughs> you know, I make mistakes. I'm not perfect, right? But I don't want to. I don't want to displease the Lord. I don't want God to be uh, uh, in any way, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, what's the right word? I'm looking forward to to. just go back to be displeased with my actions. I want to please the Lord in everything that I do and when I make a mistake and I'm in the presence of God, I wish you were here sometimes. I'm glad you're not but I say Lord forgive me for what I did. I'm so sorry for speaking like that to my wife or I'm so sorry God that I've been hard. I'm so sorry God for for not uh, having compassion the way I need to have compassion. I'm so sorry. I see my failures but I'm so grateful that you're good and merciful and loving and I place myself before your feet. Thank you for saving me God I don't want to sin I don't want to do wrong I want to please you I want to get to the end of my life and nobody turn around and say hey uh, look at what pastor Rick did I don't want to be guilty of leading anybody away I don't want to be guilty of doing anything that would harm anybody I want to stand before the Lord and him say well done good and faithful servant and when you know God how can that not be your heart You want to be like that woman that came to Jesus and she was so caught up in sin, but she knew that Jesus was a forgiver. Jesus forgave. He was merciful and faithful and long-suffering. And she came and she wet his feet with her tears after she poured expensive perfume on him. Then she wiped uh, his feet with her hair. And there was somebody next to him and said, how can you let this happen? He was indignant that this woman, that kind of woman, was doing this to him. And he said, he turns around and says, Simon, who who loves more? He who is forgiven Little or he who has forgiven much? And it's, I guess, he that has been forgiven much. He said, Go, go, child, your sins are forgiven. Why was she acting this way? Because she recognized just how much God had done for her. And can I tell you something? You don't have to have been caught, you know, uh, 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 killing somebody or, or at, the, at the very bottom, uh, when I'm talking about the way we understand things, you know, uh, got out of drugs, although God does that with many people to recognize just how much God has done for you and how much God has forgiven you. When you realize how much God has done for you and how much God has forgiven you, he who has forgiven much loves much, and what you won't do because of obedience, you will do for love. Somebody points a gun at me and says, you're going to have to do this. I mean, I've got enough gumption gumption in me where I'd say, well, I guess I'm going to heaven today. You ain't going to make me do what I don't want to do. But if my daughter has a need or my wife has a need, I will give them everything that I have because you can't force me to do something that I don't want to do that's the precious gift of free will but I will do it freely for love God knows you know when you experience his love uh, for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son love God with all the your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor with yourself when you experience the love of God you you love in return and you want to express yourself to God, and you want to express yourself to people, you might say to yourself, I've never done that, I've never experienced that. Well, maybe you've never uh, really understood what God has done for you in life. When you really understand that, you, you can look at the stuff that you've done and you, you can feel uh, uh, like uh, almost sick at the things that, that you've allowed into your life, not because uh, they don't in some way tantalize you or bring you some kind of wicked pleasure, but because of what the damage it's doing to your relationship with God. God's heart is for mercy and not for judgment. If God's people will hear His voice and respond to His call by repenting and turning away from their sins, His desire is to forgive and to restore like the prodigal son who the father was every day, I believe, waiting outside, looking down the road, waiting for his child to come home. That's the way God is with us. His will is for people to receive His mercy and then to walk in uprightness and wholeness before Him. Ezekiel 33 and 11. Ezekiel says it in another place this way. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? I can imagine a father speaking to his child and saying, please don't do that anymore. Please change your ways. I don't want to go visit you in a funeral home. I don't want to go see you in a hospital. I don't, I don't want to see your life wasted. Please, please turn. I can see God like a father saying to his children, please, please turn from your evil ways. Why should you die, O house of Israel? Ephesians 2, 4-9, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. And raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man... Should boast. So many people think that God is a tyrant or God is, is a, you know, just like a puppet master and, and enjoying hanging you over the flames and, and can't hope and hopes to be able to bring judgment on your life. He's not like that at all. He's a loving God and Father who wants nothing more than for His children to find Him so that they might become all that He designed and created them to be. So the third point we want to look at is man's response to God. i look for someone to stand on the gap, but I wasn't able to find no one. And the picture that I have is that God was calling like he did with Isaiah. Who will hear my voice? Who will respond? Who will hear what I'm saying and, and, and take, take the step of turning towards me? And no one, no one was able to do what God was hoping that they would do. In his text, the accusations against the rulers of Judah reaches a high point with the Lord's expression of dismay over the absence of spiritual leadership in the nation's critical hour to clarify God's heart on the situation Ezekiel borrows a metaphor from the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 5 and 1 Jeremiah had said run to and fro from out the streets of Jerusalem see now and know and seek in her open places if you can find a man if there's anyone who who executes judgment who seeks the truth and I will pardon her In our text, the word translated, uh, I look for someone to stand in the gap. The word translated as gap is really picturing a hole in the city wall resulting either from neglect or from assault by the enemy's battering rams. Unless the gap was quickly repaired or armed men were stationed in the gap, the invader would have easy access to the city. On the basis of the word in Jeremiah, God must have been looking for someone who would hear His call, respond to His voice, voice, stand up for justice, call a halt to oppression, break the spiral of increasing violence and appeal for repentance. I believe that there's probably somebody hearing me, whether in this place or online, I don't know, that you may. God is calling and His voice is going out and He's looking for someone that will respond to His call, respond to His voice, stand up for justice, call a halt to oppression in your family life you might say well I'm not called to be in government I'm not called to be a political but God has called you to to take a stand for your family what did what did the jailer say when he came to Paul and, and he said what must I do to be saved he said believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and not only you but also your house your household will be saved I take communion uh, uh, many times in the morning by myself it's not the same by yourself but it's just impactful to me but as I've told you before that's a promise when I when I called in the name of the Lord I was saved but I began to realize that hey that promise for the jailer is also a promise for me and I said Lord you're saving me I'm saved but I'm also being saved because I understand salvation to be wholeness you're, you're making me whole in every area of my life, and I thank you for that. But I also have a promise that my house and my household, my children, my wife, my children, and those that come after me, my grandchildren, that haven't been born yet, my great-grandchildren, that the Lord doesn't come back, and all my progeny, God, I have a promise that me, and I believe in God for this way. You can believe God however you want, but I'm believing God for this way, that me and all my progeny, all my descendants will be saved. What do I mean? Saved, Spirit-filled, set free in every dimension of their life. They will live life and life more abundantly. That's what I'm trying to bring out when I say this, is that you might say, it doesn't apply to me, I don't know. But maybe you're the one, whether it be a man or a woman, you're the one that God's looking for, and maybe you, that one person that responds to God, might be the key to your family line. What we may not do for ourselves, we'll do for love, remember. Remember. You must remember the context. God is speaking against the city of Jerusalem and using Ezekiel to express his perspective on what is happening, as Jeremiah had been doing in Jerusalem. Ezekiel was faithfully doing in Babylon. Ezekiel 3 and 17 Son of man, I made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. In Jerusalem, the Lord was searching for someone who would respond to him personally and implement righteousness and justice in the land, someone who would bring God's will into manifestation in their lives, and the lives of those around them. Now, I want you to know that God didn't find anybody. But I'm going to say it was 720 years later. God said, I can't find somebody, so I'm going to go myself. And the Bible says he appeared to a woman named Mary. And he said, the Spirit of God is going to overshadow you and you're going to give birth to a child, and that child's name is going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. And he was 100% God, but he was 100% man. Everything he did on this earth was done as a man. I think Marty made implication to that as well. Uh, for as by one man sin came into the earth, and death, death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sin. But on the opposite extreme, because of the next Adam, the second Adam, because of Jesus Christ, all who find themselves in him will have life and life more, eternal, light, eternal life and life more abundantly. God did it. We couldn't do it, so God did it. God came Himself as a man and in the place of man won a victory for us and He took our cloth, uh, uh, our clothing of, of unrighteous, filthy rags. He took it upon Himself and He gave us His cloak of righteousness because He that knew no sin became sin for us. He didn't have sin. No one took His life. The wages of sin is death. He didn't have sin in His life. So what did He do? He gave His life of His own accord. He gave it for you and me out of love. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever gives his life to Christ, when you do that, there's a great exchange that takes place. He takes your clothes. The Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags before the Lord. He takes our robe of, of filthy righteousness, and he puts it on himself. That's what he did at the cross of Calvary. And then he made an exchange. He had a robe of righteousness, and he took his robe of righteousness, and he places it on us. You hear what I'm saying? I think Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God uh, under the salvation of those who believe. Uh, For in it, the righteousness of God, another way of understanding is the righteousness from God has been revealed by faith, through faith, for faith. Acts 16.31, this is that jailer. So they said, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Unfortunately, like the false prophets in Ezekiel 13, the leaders were all too preoccupied with their own affairs to worry about the welfare of the city. Sometimes we get so preoccupied with our life, we don't care what happens around us. We don't care that our families are falling apart. We don't care what is taking place in our school systems, in our city, in our neighborhood. We don't care because we're so busy uh, taking care of our own uh, wanton lusts and pleasures. Ezekiel thirteen three through 7 Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing, Oh Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the deserts. You've not gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle on the day of the Lord. In this particular case, he's talking to people that have a should have a relationship with God, should know the word of God. So in our context, he's not talking to the world; he's talking to the church. He's saying you should know better. You shouldn't be living for yourselves; live for God. Live for the next generation. Live for those around you. Expend your life like Jesus expended His life for those around Him. We, are like Christ, must expend our lives for those who are lost, for those that don't know God, in our own families and in our communities and in the world around us. You've not gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle on the day of the Lord. The absence of anyone who would faithfully hear and respond to him left only one course of action open to the Lord. Time had run out. Judah's doom had been sealed. As I said before, so many people think that God desires nothing more than to bring judgment. In actuality, God is good, loving, faithful, merciful. And in the New Testament, we actually see the character of God in Christ Jesus. John 3:16 and 17, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, whoever would believe in Him should not perish and have everlasting life, that whoever would recognize who He is and turn from His wicked ways, because that's what it means to repent. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the King of the kingdom is in our midst. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved as Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost by standing in the gap for humanity, so too God continues to display His heart for people as He sends His followers to bring His lost sheep in a relationship with Him to bring them home. Matthew nine thirty six 36-38, But when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And He said to His disciples, How many of you are His disciples? We've got three disciples in here. I was hoping we'd have more. <laughs> he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Why are the laborers so few? Because they're all home watching Game of Thrones, Netflix, uh, Hulu, or anything else that they might be doing. Taking care of their own interests and their own passions. Not all of you. I'm just being, I'm preaching for dramatic effect right now. but we need to be about doing the will of God. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Jesus actually said on his uh, uh, high priestly prayer to his father in John 17, as you sent me into the world, how did, what did he come into the world to do? To seek and to save that which was lost. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. He's talking to you and me. Romans 10 and 14. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without someone to tell them? I changed that word preacher because sometimes people think preacher, they think me. We're not just preachers. Someone to tell them, someone to declare to them the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's all of us. As our text in Ezekiel reveals, what remains is for people to respond to his call to turn from their wicked, and let's say it this way, selfish ways. While God does not desire that anyone should perish, we must understand that there will come a time when there remains no more opportunity for mercy. Listen to what I'm saying. There comes a time when there's no more mercy. Either individually, we're all going to die. The Bible says to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. When we stand before God, we're only going to have One plea, Jesus. And that plea only works if you know Him on this earth, if you live for Him on this earth. If you try to claim Jesus after you die, everyone would be saved. But that's, the time is over. Mercy is already done with. How many people get in front of the judge and they say, Oh, I'm so sorry, but they've said it before. They've said it before. Please forgive me. Give me one more chance. I've given you one chance. I've given you two chances. I've given you three chances. And finally the gavel comes down and the judge says, No more chances. You're going to jail. That's enough. There's no more mercy for you. Well, I want you to know that's going to happen one day if we don't turn and repent from living selfish lives and give our lives to Jesus. There is an end. There is a terminus. Either we're going to do it individually or like many of us are believing in this day and time, that today, tomorrow, any day, the the trumpet will sound and and the dead shall be raised and we're going to stand before God. And when that happens, that's it. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We'll still have seven more years. If you didn't repent before that, you're probably not going to repent after that. You hearing what I'm saying? Acts 10.42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it's he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Jesus is a merciful Savior, but he's also judge. Mark sixteen fifteen through 16, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Condemned to what? Eternal separation from God, which the Bible calls Gehenna or hell, which is then thrown into the lake of fire. God did not desire, does not want that for anybody. He's a good father. He didn't create that for you and me. He created for the devil and his demons, his minions. But if we choose to go the way of the enemy and rebel against God, then that's our eternal abode and our home where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And God does not want that. And that's why he sends us to say, repent, turn from your wicked ways. Uh, Ask God to forgive you. Give your life to God. Come back to him. We've seen that the heart of God is that he, we would hear, repent, and turn. The question that remains is now that we've heard, how will we respond? 2 Peter 3 and 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. With that being said, I don't know who's here. I don't know who's listening. All I know is that the Lord revealed himself to me. There was a man, let me talk about this guy named Paul. Many of y'all know who he is. Paul was a, a, a persecutor of Christians. He thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was serving God. He was a persecutor of Christians. And he, he was not only throwing them in jail, he was having them killed. And not only was he having them killed, he was actually seeking them out, persecuting them. Uh, You might say in some strange way, just to kind of give you an idea of what kind of man he was. Uh, And of course, not not trying in any way to create parallels, but it's kind of like the Nazis would go seeking for Jews. Uh, uh, Paul would go seeking for Christians. That's what kind of person he was. And then one day... He had a great light as he was going to another city. He'd already done this damage in Jerusalem, and he wanted to go to another city to do more damage, to inflict more uh, 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 persecution upon, upon the Christians who he felt like were uh, uh, against the things of God. And so as he was going, God showed himself to him in a bright light. And God's bright light was so, so bright in his life, he fell off his horse and he heard a voice saying, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And, and Paul says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus whom thou art persecuting. He wasn't persecuting the Lord, you would think, but he was persecuting the Lord's body. And all of a sudden, you know what Paul did? Paul didn't dismiss that. He heard the voice of God. He heard, he had been hearing from obviously he knew what the gospel was. That's why he's throwing people in jail. Jesus was the Messiah. He'd been hearing that, and all of a sudden the Messiah revealed himself to him. You know what Paul did when he experienced that light, when he experienced the truth, when all of a sudden he began to realize who God was and who Jesus was, the Bible says he repented. Who art thou? Lord. I am Jesus and from that day on the Bible says that he sent someone to pray for him he received his sight and from that day on he became one of the most uh, 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 prolific missionary zealots for God to reach people for God he turned from his wicked ways and then he lived so what do we do when we hear the gospel like Paul God revealed Himself to me. I wasn't uh, uh, persecuting Christians, but I was living a selfish life. If we compare ourselves with ourselves and by ourselves, we might say, I wasn't as bad as you, but in the eyes of God, my righteousness was like filthy rags, and I knew it. God revealed Himself to me. Thank you, God is merciful, faithful, and I turned from my wicked ways, not because of anything that I did, but because God was so good He embraced me, and I realized that God had created me, and God wanted me to serve him, and I gave my life to him. And when I did, my life changed, and I'm so grateful that I did. I've been serving him since 1985, and I wouldn't change it for anything. Maybe you're hearing, you're at the sound of my voice. And something that I'm saying is resonating with you, whether you never gave your life to God or you find yourself doing the same things over and over and over again, maybe not wickedly, but living for yourself, returning to your own vomit again and again and again. The Lord is here today and He's calling you. Yes, sir.